0: Good morning, and welcome to Atheists Talk on KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We appreciate you tuning in or streaming this morning. Today is Sunday, March 29th, 2020. I'm your host, Stephanie Savan, and my guest today is Miri Mogilewski. This is a pre-recorded show, so we won't be taking calls today. You can still reach us by email at radio at minnesotaatheists.org, or on Twitter as Atheists Talk to follow up. These are anxious days. Whether you're looking at politics or the pandemic, there's plenty of cause for concern. If you're suddenly having problems coping, today's show is for you. My guest today is Miri Mogilewski, a clinical social worker specializing in LGBTQ and HIV positive clients. If anyone understands anxiety, Miri does. Good morning, Miri. Welcome to Atheists Talk.
1: Thank you, I'm so glad to be on.
0: Anxiety is one of those words that's used colloquially, as well as having a clinical meaning. When we're talking about anxiety today, um, like when you're dealing with anxiety with one of your clients, what are we talking about? So
1: I kind of, um, I like to distinguish between anxiety and fear because a lot of people don't distinguish that. And I actually think it's really important. So fear, for instance, is you're walking down the street and you're crossing the road and you see like a car barreling at you with no intention of stopping, right? And that physical feeling that you get like, oh shit, shit, like I need to get out of the road, that's fear. Um, And fear can propel us into action that saves our lives, you know, saves other people's lives, whatever, fixes the situation. Anxiety um, is is you're walking down the street and there is no car, but suddenly your brain is oh, very helpfully like, What if a car hits you right now? What if a car? You should check. Is there a car? Is there a car coming? What if a car hits you? And there is no car. Or maybe there is a car, but it's not headed towards you. Or it is headed towards you, but it's coming to a full and complete stop at the stop sign. But your brain is still doing that whole what if thing. Anxiety, I think, is really the what if emotion.
0: Okay. I've seen a tendency to equate having a mental health issue um, with being irrational somebody's brain isn't reacting in a reasonable way to the situation is that a useful way to think of anxiety or should we be thinking of it differently? I think that we should
1: be thinking of it differently because I think what most people would tell you nowadays is that the anxiety that they're having is um, very much rational and it's based on things that are really happening and it's not quote-unquote crazy and so on and so forth um anxiety could be very useful Because, you know, to return to my example, you could be walking down the street and you could have that anxious thought, like, what if a car hits me right now? And that thought could propel you into action. For instance, making sure that you're crossing at a crosswalk or being aware of what's going on around you so that you're able to avoid getting hit or you're able to avoid something bad happening to you. Um, I think a more useful way to distinguish a mental illness or a mental health disorder from quote-unquote normal functioning which is definitely in scare quotes is (laughs) like yeah which is a whole (laughs) whole nother show um but the way i would distinguish that is the extent to which it interferes with your life um keeps you from doing the things that you want and need to do um makes you unhappy um kind of distances you from others and from yourself um in a way that you don't like so if you okay Occasionally, when walking down the street, suddenly have the anxious thought of, what if a car hits me? That's maybe no big deal. But now, if that thought is happening so much or so strongly or so unavoidably that you literally struggle with going outside or walking down the street or being able to enjoy a simple walk down the street, now we're headed maybe into clinical anxiety
0: territory. All right. So I have been hearing... um from friends who are fairly free when they're talking about uh mental illness from people who deal with with clients who may um who deal clinically with with clients who are, are having issues they're in the uh the social net sector although not necessarily social workers mm-hmm. like you um i've been hearing for the past few years that rates of anxiety have been up in our unstable political climate. Is that true?
1: I have definitely observed that in my practice as a therapist, although I've only been actively practicing since 2014, by which point (laughs) I guess you could say that things in our society were already well on their way um, to disaster. So it's hard to say, um, but I do think that there's a truth to that.
0: I I know that things are... um, disrupted and particularly disrupted for uh, things like what are considered unnecessary office visits. But are you seeing an additional spike with all of the disruption caused by coronavirus? So actually, I'm not sure.
1: Um, And and I think the reason for this is, and I think this is something we'll probably talk about later, um, the clients that I see are, you know, coming in to deal with whatever issues that they're struggling with and the 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 cool thing or the not so cool thing is that those issues don't just go away um because the world is is doing a thing so for the most part they are coming in and they're talking about the exact same issues that they always were talking about sometimes though when a particularly like huge ongoing current event disrupts their lives it kind of like makes everything worse or even just different. For instance, the person who before was talking about how stressful and anxiety provoking their job is, is now talking about how they're extra mad at their job because they still have to go to work and put themselves in danger of um, contracting COVID-19. Or um, the person who was fighting with their partner before is now fighting with their partner about their disagreements about how to handle COVID-19, right? So, I think um, to some extent it may amplify what's already going on for folks, but people who have significant enough mental health issues that they're seeking therapy, they're probably still pretty focused on those issues um, with this lovely side helping of anxiety about the state of the world. But people who maybe are not currently in therapy or didn't think that they needed to be in therapy maybe now have an entirely new thing to be anxious about when they didn't before.
0: But they don't necessarily, for example, have um, somebody to help them with it. like you Exactly. Did. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we talked a little bit about why it might be reasonable to be anxious at any given time. If it's reasonable to be anxious right now, maybe even like 24-7 be worried, why might we want to do something about it?
1: Well, first of all, because it's miserable. Fair. There's a, there's a lot of things, you know, we say this all the time when arguing with, you know, evo-psych people, for instance. There's a lot of things that are natural that we don't want to happen. Um, COVID-19 is a very natural thing. It's, it's a virus that evolved and mutated and is now infecting humans, but we don't want that to keep happening. Likewise, there's a lot of emotional reactions um, that we have that are completely understandable and completely rational but kind of like I said before they interfere with our ability to live full lives and I think it's perfectly reasonable to want to find a way to deal with them not get rid of them um, that's an important distinction not get rid of them but to live with them and live through them in a way that we can later look back on and say like you know what that was a really tough time and I had a lot of anxiety, but I'm proud of the way that I handled it.
0: All right. So for somebody who isn't, somebody who isn't like me and has an anxiety disorder and like <laughs> yes. has never known life without anxiety, um, for somebody who's new to it, what might they be feeling or seeing or thinking um, that that tells them that what it what they're dealing with now is anxiety. I think
1: um, the presence of that what if kind of thinking um, is a very big one where like, yes, there's, there's scary things happening right now. But if you have anxiety, it's not just about what's happening right now. It's about what could happen or what direction it's all headed. And one of the reasons it can be so hard for someone who's not used to thinking about mental health stuff to tell the difference is because they might think that it's obvious. Like the big, well, of course I'm gonna get coronavirus or of course Trump is gonna do this or that because that's the way that things are obviously going. But first of all, we don't know that. And second of all, even if rationally that probably is what will happen, that feeling of worrying about it right now, that is anxiety. Um, anxiety tends to make you feel like running away or escaping, um, maybe not you know, physically because that may not be possible but at least emotionally. Um, I think one way, for instance, that anxiety played out after um, the 2016 election was people saying things like, I- I'm just gonna move to Canada. I'm, I'm just gonna go, so- I'm just gonna get out of here, right? Which again, could be a perfectly rational move to make, but that was, that was an anxious thought that was being driven by anxiety of like something scary could happen and I need to escape from it. Um, I also think that for a lot of folks right now, Anxiety could be playing out as um, kind of a preoccupation or an obsession with what you can control, which, to some extent, um, when you're aware that this is what's going on and, and you're kind of being mindful about it, can be a really healthy thing. Like a lot of folks cleaning out their houses right now, myself included. Um, Same. <laughs> with this, yeah. Um, with the sense of like, you know, like I can't control what goes on outside. Um, And especially when there's a sense of like, do I need to clean? Like, is something contaminating my house, right? Maybe I should clean it, make it tidy. Um, And that can lead into this like, you know, one of my clients today called it stress cleaning. And yeah, I think if that is something that helps you cope, enriches your life in some way, makes your physical environment better, can be super healthy. If it gets out of control and it's making you miserable, not a super healthy coping skill. But that's one way that people could see it kind
0: of starting to rear its head all right when we come back we'll start talking about what we can do about all of this please stay with us through the break and we will return to atheists talk with our guest mary mogalevsky i'm stephanie Zavan, and you're listening to am 950 ktnf progressive voice of minnesota Welcome back to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. This is Atheists Talk. I'm your host, Stephanie Zavan. This is a pre-recorded show, so we won't be taking calls today. You can still reach us by email at radio at minnesotaatheists.org or on Twitter as Atheists Talk to follow up. Today's guest is Miri Mogilevsky, talking with us about managing anxiety. Welcome back, Miri. Thank you. So we were talking about how anxiety, even if it's reasonable and rational and warranted, isn't helpful. Are there things that, you know, somebody starts recognizing that they're spending a lot of time in a what-if situation, or they're trying to take control in ways that are not as useful as cleaning out every dusty corner of their house? um, Where should they maybe start to deal with that
1: well I think leaving aside the therapy issue for now um, although that's of course always an option and thankfully a lot of therapists are switching to telehealth so you may even be able to get in quicker than you would otherwise um, that's a whole separate thing I do think that although therapy is useful and I'm biased in that Um, subject. (laughs) Um, I do think that there are a lot of things that folks can do um, to help calm their own anxiety. Um, One thing that I always recommend the clients and just like friends in general is to take a moment to get in touch with your values. So what's important to you in life, um, how you want to live, what you want to be about. Because often when we find like our anxiety or depression or whatever the symptom is getting away from us is when we're losing touch with that kind of stuff. For instance, if you always really valued um, getting outside, taking walks, saying hi to your neighbors, but now you won't do that because you're so scared of getting hit by a car, you've lost, you know, you've lost touch with something that that was very important to you. And you have to acknowledge what that thing is. Um, One thing that's really hard about this right now is that, well, a lot of us have literally lost access to a lot of the things that make our lives worth living. Um spending time with other people face-to-face, going to events, you know, seeing places, seeing people for those of us for whom our jobs are really important and we can't work in the same way that we used to or at all. Fortunately, some people have lost their jobs. Um, literally, we've lost some of those outlets. But the thing is, is that values aren't goals. It's not about the literal things that you're doing. It's about what's important to you. Like, human connection or learning or helping others or what have you. And so when you're struggling with anxiety and you're stuck in this loop and you're not really doing the stuff that's meaningful to you, it could be a good time to check in and be like, well, what can I still do? Right? So maybe I can't connect with people in the ways that I used to, but how could I connect with people? Or I can't help people right now as a social worker who goes out and goes into people's homes but maybe I could sign up for one of those like mutual aid groups and deliver things to people or do other stuff that helps. Um, So values are a great place to start in terms of um, anxiety. That's like getting to the level of panic. So when, you know, your heart rate's going up, your breathing's going up, all that crappy stuff is happening. Um, There's a reason why therapists always recommend deep breathing. Like it's cliche, but the reason we recommend it is because it counteracts those physiological physiological changes that are happening in your body so say you're panicking um and you know your brain is releasing all those stress hormones and you know your lungs are getting ready to like pump oxygen to your muscle all of that kind of stuff if you start to breathe regularly and deeply your body is unable to sustain that physiological reaction and the feeling of panic goes down panic is you know it's a type of anxiety it's not what anxiety is all the time But it's that, like, most primal, fear-based, like, physiological sort of anxiety that that
0: folks get. And it's a a kind of anxiety that that can build on itself. Yes. Because panic itself doesn't feel very good.
1: Yeah. um, Panic feels bad, um, especially during, like, massive worries about health issues. Because since it's such a physiological experience, um, hello, shortness of breath. Obviously, disclaimer, I'm not a doctor. If you think you're experiencing symptoms of COVID-19, please call a local health provider. But um, if it's completely, like, anxiety-based, like, oh, I just saw this news article. Oh, my God, like, what's going to happen? And, like, heart rate's going up. That's probably panic. Taking some steady breaths, um, kind of counting to four or counting to seven or whatever you can as you breathe in and then as you breathe out can help counteract that reaction. Um, But also... It might not work for you. Like some people kind of tell just deep breathe, whatever. Like anytime you're getting advice that like has the word "just" at the beginning, like you know,
0: <laughs> you're, you're <laughs> telling me that none of this is going to work for everybody.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, that's too bad.
1: I know. Although I suppose if
0: there were a really simple solution, you might be out of a job.
1: Yeah, and that would suck, but would also be really great. But also, you know, to that end, um, mindfulness and deep breathing and all of that stuff, like those things are practices. And the best time to practice them is actually when you're feeling relatively okay. So when you're sitting around bored, not super anxious, but bored, and you're like, what could I do to make my life better when I can't leave the house? Grab one of those meditation apps, find some of those instructions online and try it out. And if it's not for you, it's not for you. Some people swear by it. Some people are like, that's hippy-dippy bullshit it's completely depends on the person.
0: <laughs> is that, is meditation the only kind of uh, mindfulness that, that is available to somebody? Cause that's another word that gets, yeah that gets bandied about a lot. What are we really, what is the purpose of mindfulness? What are we aiming at? Yeah. So
1: yeah. So meditation is only one of the many many forms of mindfulness and i love talking about this because as a matter of fact just about anything that you do or experience can be a form of mindfulness because what it comes down to is mindfulness is is noticing noticing what's going on noticing how you're feeling noticing what's around you just without immediately trying to change it so for instance if you were to breathe mindfully which is a common you know thing that people recommend You would pay attention to your breath and you would try not to change anything about it. Of course, that can be really hard to access for a lot of people. But you can do just about anything mindfully. You can wash the dishes mindfully by focusing on the scent of the dish detergent or focusing on the warm water on your hands, focusing on how the dishes feel as they get clean. That is really weird. I don't really know why anyone would do that, but you could try it. (laughs) 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 <laughs> you could you could knit or crochet mindfully. You could play with your pet mindfully. All you have to do is try to pay attention to what you're doing and what's going on. Your mind will drift away from that. And when you notice that your mind's drifted away, just kind of gently, like non-judgmentally bring it back. Like, oh, found myself thinking about the news again. My cat is very soft. I really like my cat's fur. I'm enjoying petting my cat's fur. So, those are just some of the many ways you can listen to music mindfully. You can be mindful in a conversation with someone by practicing, like, really listening to them and paying attention to their body language.
0: Please stay with us through the break, and we will return to Atheists Talk with our guest, Miriam Ogalevsky. This is Stephanie Zavan, and you're listening to AM 950 KTNF, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. Welcome back to Atheists Talk on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. I'm your host, Stephanie Zavann. Atheists Talk is an unusual show. Very few places in the U.S. can someone randomly turn on commercial radio and hear a bunch of atheists talking about topics that interest them. Much of the work we do to keep us on the air is done by a dedicated group of volunteers, but we need your help too. Today we'd like to thank our supporters on Patreon in particular. We'll have a fun extra for you this week. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible donation to our radio fund, please visit minnesotaatheists.org or search for Atheists Talk on Patreon and sign up for exclusive content. Atheists Talk is produced with funding from the Minnesota Atheists, Cucumbers Restaurant, and American Atheists. If you'd like to advertise on this program, please contact us at radio at minnesotaatheists.org. Our music is composed by member Brent michael Davids and used with permission. Opinions expressed on this show are those of the speakers. You can find Minnesota Atheists' public policy positions at minnesotaatheists.org. While you're on the site, check out our previous shows, browse our articles to see what we're up to, check out our meetup calendar, or sign up for our weekly email to find out about upcoming events and connect with other atheists. Most of our in-person meetings have been canceled for the duration, but we're moving events online where we can and keeping in touch with our community partners on their needs for volunteers. Consider becoming a member of Minnesota Atheists if you're not already. Support our work and help steer our future direction. This is a pre-recorded show, so we won't be taking calls today. You can still reach us by email at radio at or on Twitter under Atheists Talk to follow up. Miri Mogilebski is talking with us this morning about managing anxiety. One of the things that I have noticed a lot of people doing recently, and doing specifically because they're anxious, not just because they're shut up in the house, is jigsaw puzzles. Is that something that, you know, just because you're having to pay attention to color and shape, is that something that might fall under mindfulness? Yeah, absolutely.
1: I think so. That actually gets into a really interesting set of techniques that comes from work with children on the autism spectrum and it's called um basically a sensory diet and where that comes from is this idea that like people on the autism spectrum have sensory issues they may get easily overwhelmed and they can kind of use sensations in order to calm themselves or energize themselves but there's a third category of um sensory stimuli so we've got calming we've got energizing and then we've got this last one which is really interesting We call it organizing. And what it basically is, this isn't like an official definition, it's just something I noticed through working with people. It's actions that on some level reduce entropy, right? You're taking things and you're somehow putting them in order. You're making them right. You're taking raw materials and you're turning them into something. And these are things that, depending on the situation, depending on how you use them, they can either relax you or they can make you more alert or they can kind of do a mix of both. And if you've ever um, done any sort of crafting or something like a jigsaw puzzle and you noticed yourself just getting really in the zone, like I'm really just focused
0: on doing this specific thing, then you You mean like all of a sudden it's 3 a.m. and I haven't gone to bed yet.
1: Yeah! <laughs> then you've experienced the magic of an organizing sensation. But it's not just activities. Um, some people get it through eating certain things, um, certain scents. For instance, I always felt that way when I would eat like Kit Kat bars, and I would always like eat the chocolate from around it first, and then I would eat the actual like wafer part. Organizing. Okay. And so um this is one way that you can kind of calm your anxiety without having to zone out and distract yourself from your surroundings, right? You choose something that
0: you can really focus on that calms you, but that's also interesting, like a puzzle. Is that part of the point of mindfulness exercises is to, I guess, remain alert to a certain point, but to give yourself something else to focus on?
1: Sort of. I would say that the ultimate goal of mindfulness practice in general, however you do it, is to kind of gain the ability to choose what you focus on, if that makes any sense. It's not just to be able to like feel bad and then be like, nope, not gonna focus on that anymore. That's just distraction. Uh we can all do that. It doesn't work super great in the long term or else no one would go to therapy. Um, <laughs> instead instead, it's the skill of being like, yeah, I'm noticing that I'm having a lot of thoughts about the pandemic. Um I'm noticing you know, some tension in my chest when I think about it. And now I'm going to shift my focus to this puzzle I'm working on, or to this conversation I'm having. Um, It's this ability to start to really kind of choose to selectively pay attention to certain things, without having to somehow like delete or get rid of the sensations that you don't like. Because you can't do that. Like If
0: you could do that, again, that would be awesome, but you can't. So are there any downsides to that kind of selective focus? Anything that, you know, as you are focusing on something that is not the thing that causes you anxiety, that you should maybe remain aware of or plan for?
1: Well, I think uh, one big one you kind of mentioned earlier is that it can turn into hyper focus. And now it's like 3am and you're still doing this thing. What therapists try to teach when we teach mindfulness is actually to gradually be able to expand basically like your circle of awareness so that you're aware of other things, like what time it is, or that you're starting to be hungry or need to go to the bathroom or whatever, while also maintaining like, the zone of focus on the thing that you want to focus on. Kind of like you're shining a spotlight, but you still see around the edges, it's just not what's lit up right now, rather than you're shining this extremely direct beam of light and everything outside of its circle is just completely dark. So yeah, that can absolutely be a downside. I also always really caution my clients about like don't blame yourself if you can't like achieve perfect zen via like I don't know a board game or whatever like this is really hard stuff this is really hard stuff to learn and we don't really teach it in our culture therapists try to teach it pop psychology articles try to teach it I don't know how well they do that <laughs> but it's become a buzzword and it's become associated with this particular like instagram like doing a yoga pose like at the side of a cliff like don't do that even really skilled yogis sometimes lose their balance why are you doing that
0: (laughs) (laughs) so what i hear you saying is we (laughs) we should maybe stop thinking this is thinking of this as something that we do and we should start thinking of it as a skill
1: yeah i would actually think of it kind of Well, like any other kind of exercise, like for instance, weightlifting, you know, if you want to lift weights and you want to get stronger, that's something that you have to intentionally practice and you never really like arrive, right? Like you're never like, okay, I have now lifted the weights. I am done with lifting weights for the rest of my life. I have achieved perfect strength and my body is perfect and I'm done. You don't get there. You have to keep practicing at it. And some days you'll be crappy at it for reasons you can't understand and other days you'll be like, Wow, like I just passed two hours like chilling out and gardening and I didn't even think about terrible world stuff at all. I didn't like forget about
0: it. I just wasn't thinking about it during those two hours. You brought up exercise and as somebody who does have a mental health disorder. Obviously this gets prescribed to me a lot by the doctors of the internet. Uh, <laughs> Is exercise something that is actually useful in anxiety or? It can be. Something that reputable research tends
1: to show is that when people are able to regularly move their bodies in ways that they enjoy or at least, you know, appreciate or can deal with, they tend to do better mentally. But that's obviously leaving aside a lot of things. And I actually, whenever I talk about this, I intentionally use phrases like moving your body because exercise is one thing.
0: But it's an industry.
1: Yeah. Being physically active, enjoying movement, that's kind of another thing. It's not about burning calories or working up a sweat.
0: Making those perfect muscles.
1: Yeah, or like doing yoga poses, like on top of a cliff and falling. There's a wonderful book called Burnout by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. It's really cool. It talks about basically the science of burnout, which is basically what happens when you have chronic anxiety and stress, and now you're reaching this kind of point where you can't deal anymore. And they talk a lot in there about ways to kind of let off that steam. And movement is, is a really major one. And, and I think. Because they tend to be pretty affirming riders. I think they say at one point, like, this sucks to hear. I always tell my clients, like, I'm sorry. I hate that this is true. But regular (laughs) physical movement is is so, so helpful. There's a physiological reason for this. So that panic reaction I mentioned earlier, right? When your body's in fight or flight mode, your muscles are tensing, your heart rate's going up, your body's like ready to, like, fight or flee or, like, kill the tiger or whatever. (laughs) So physiological changes are happening in your body but unfortunately our modern stressors don't necessarily lend themselves to that kind of response so like if you imagine like a person in prehistoric times and they're killing gathering berries whatever and then they see a predator and they have that reaction they're going to run like hell and escape or they're going to fight and they're gonna kill the lion or they're gonna die in which case it's irrelevant, <laughs> but regardless, like both of those options, like know what your body is preparing to do. It's preparing to do something very physically intense and it does that thing. And then afterwards, whether you escape the, the line or you kill it, there will be this period of like complete like exhaustion and often some tears and, and just some relief. And then that stress response cycle is kind of complete. But in our modern lives, there isn't any obvious out of the fight or flight response. People will try, for instance, you know, people who struggle with anger and they go off on people, that's kind of their fight reaction getting out of hand. But ultimately, like, yelling at someone is not only potentially abusive, but also doesn't actually really help with completing the stress response cycle. Likewise, walking down the street, getting really anxious that you're gonna get hit by a car, and immediately like turning back and going home and doesn't quite do it. But what can do it is some sort of like pretty moderate or vigorous physical activity. So sometimes if that's the particular kind of issue that you're dealing with, if your body just needs to do something, it just wants to do something, exercise can help kind of let off that steam. But that's not every situation. And also, unfortunately, not everyone can access that either because of safety or because of like physical issues or whatever, um, Luckily, though, there are actually a lot of ways to do like, what the Nagoskis in that book refer to as complete the cycle. Unfortunately, another one of those things is physical touch. That may not be super accessible right now, but <laughs> one, thing that, <laughs> one thing that is, is laughter or even crying. And it can sound counterintuitive, but if you're having like, a really anxious day and you intentionally go and you watch some funny videos and, and you really like laugh, it can let some of that steam off another thing is kind of meaningful connecting like social activities which don't have to be in person one thing that comes up often is how like any kind of group singing or chanting or anything like that tends to be really healing for people i remember seeing those videos of like the italians like singing on their balconies
0: yes i think there's something to that Please stay with us through the break, and we will return to Atheist's Talk with our guest, Mary Mogalevsky. I'm Stephanie Zavan and you are listening to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Welcome back to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. This is Atheist's Talk, and I'm your host, Stephanie Zavan. This is a pre-recorded show, so we won't be taking calls today. You can still reach us by email at radio at org, or on Twitter as Atheists Talk to follow up. Today's guest is Miri Mogilevsky talking with us about managing anxiety. Welcome back, Miri. Are there any other ways of dealing with uh, anxiety in the moment that we should be talking about? One last thing that I'll mention, um, and this comes from like trauma work but it can also
1: help more in the moment there's this thing called expressive writing that when i describe it it's going to sound a lot like just plain old journaling but there's a small distinction so bear with me in expressive writing you take like a stressful or like anxiety provoking thing that's going on or that happened to you and you write about it but you write like two aspects of it you write like the facts of what happened like the narrative and then you also write how you felt how you feel now as you're writing about it, how you expect to feel in the future. And you kind of connect those things, creating a narrative of basically the story. I've noticed that a lot of people have been doing these like quarantine diaries. And I, I think that there's something to that. Connecting those things, like those two things, like what happens and then how you feel. First of all, that's literally like the basis of therapy to begin with. But also it helps your brain start to create this like coherent narrative of what's going on. And that in and of itself not only relieves depression and anxiety, but also, interestingly, is associated with all kinds of positive physical health effects, including immunity. So I'll just throw that one out there.
0: All right. Now, you brought up trauma. Right now, it looks like we are going into a fairly long period of stress. What should people be thinking of as we maybe start to to come out of this and... Things are returning somewhat to normal, although they won't be exactly normal. Are there things that people who have particularly had a tough time with anxiety during the the virus quarantine and, and the election? There's that yeah. too. Yeah. But yeah. are there things that people should be looking out for?
1: Yeah, so there's a few kind of factors that tend to make the difference between a potentially traumatic effect that's just a really shitty thing that happened to you once, versus an event that has now become like a source of lasting trauma. Two really important elements of that are social support and not blaming yourself, basically. So people who deal with lasting trauma tend to not have had or not currently have much support from others in coping with what happened, and they also tend to blame themselves. And self-blame can sneak in really sneakily. It's not necessarily just, like, I'm to blame for this thing that happened. It can also be, like, well, I know it's not my fault, but I shouldn't have reacted so strongly. Or I know it's not my fault, but I shouldn't still be upset about it. So I think a lot of people, and I've already been seeing people struggling with, like, shame about, like, oh, like, Shakespeare wrote whatever in quarantine, and I can't even, like, get off my ass and w-
0: like like it was King Lear it's been depressing people for centuries
1: <laughs> yeah yeah also Shakespeare wasn't dealing with a whole lot of like other marginalization and also there wasn't like Trump so like whenever you notice like thoughts like that of blaming yourself or kind of shaming yourself again we're not trying to like delete the thoughts because we can't anyway but like acknowledge them like acknowledge that they're there and then kind of tell yourself like oh yeah There's that story coming up again about how it's all my fault and I should be better. I noticed that, don't agree with it, and I'm moving on. Because ultimately, the more that we reach out to others for support and the more that we really validate how awesomely we're all dealing with this horrible thing, the less likely we are to suffer lasting trauma from it. And, you know, if unfortunately, like months or years down the line, you realize that you have developed. Symptoms of PTSD, that can be treated, you know, with therapy, with science based self help materials. That's not the end of the world either, but it sucks. And if there's any way that, like, we can support each other in not developing that and not getting mired in that self blame, it'll be all the better.
0: We just have a couple of minutes of time left, but really briefly, we've been talking about people who don't deal with anxiety all the time. For those of us who have anxiety disorders um, and maybe are feeling an increase in symptoms, is there anything specific that we should be worrying about? Worrying about.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I see what you did there. I think one place for us to be very cautious, and I know this is going to come up for a lot of people, is to be like, okay, well, I know that like that other anxiety that I've had is like clinical like mental illness stuff but this this is the real i mean this this time things are really bad yeah i mean they are and also we've got anxiety disorders it doesn't mean we have to be miserable just because things are bad it might mean we are miserable for a while it might mean that we learn how to live with it
0: excellent all right so If people need more resources on this particular topic, do you have any recommendations? So
1: first of all, that book Burnout that I mentioned, that is going to be a really, really great resource. Even though we think of burnout as like a thing that happens through like work or activism, I think you can definitely get burned out on dealing with a pandemic. So yeah, Burnout by Emily and and Amelia Nagoski. They are sisters. They're awesome. Can I like,
0: can we add some things in the show notes? Absolutely. (laughs) I didn't warn you about this. We can, we can add it all in the show notes. So.
1: <laughs> I'd also say like I've noticed around this particular issue, there's been a lot of just like articles in all kinds of like mainstream outlets like the New York Times and like Washington Post about like anxiety during coronavirus, like wh- what to do. And I've actually like looked at quite a few of those articles and a lot of them say like really good, really smart stuff and direct folks to like resources that might be available near them um obviously like the typical hotlines but also like here's how to find a therapist it's honestly really cool that this is happening at a moment when mental health has really hit the mainstream like as a topic and there's obviously like downsides to that which is a whole other podcast episode for instance (laughs) <laughs> how mindfulness has become such a like a buzzword that it's a its meaning. So there's downsides to that. We, we haven't even
0: talked that. about the positivity movement. So Oh
1: no, yeah, that's the whole thing. But I think honestly, I, I think what's really good about that besides just the information that those articles provide, is the fact that you know w- when you open the New York Times and like one of the front page articles is like how to handle anxiety about the pandemic, it really validates the fact that anxiety is a legitimate issue to be having right now that other people are also having which really helps with that isolation and shame and self-blame kind of thing. So yeah, I would say like when you see those articles, click on them. It might not have anything that you don't know already, but it might.
0: All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Miri. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. I'd like to thank our audience for tuning in to Atheists Talk. This is Stephanie Zavan, your host. Please join us again next Sunday. I'm proud to be on the air with Minnesota Atheists, and I hope that you appreciate the show. This show depends on the generous support of our members, our sponsors, and our donors. Please consider supporting the show through the donation link at minnesotaatheists.org. This is Atheists Talk on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. The podcast for this show will be up as soon as possible. Have a great Sunday.